All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the, the second lesson in this new biblical parenting crash course. Our aim is just to come together, study God's word, that we might discover and apply what the Bible says about parenting. We want to be equipped with scriptures, principles, and practices on parenting that we might raise our children in the way they should go. And I think it's a needed study in the life of our church overall. There's a lot of parents here, and my wife and I are in that same department. I guess it helps that now our own kids are getting a little bit older and starting to bear some fruit of our parenting efforts. It kind of helps to be a parent when you're teaching on parenting, just for the sake of ethos. And when you're teaching and when you're trying to convince people of something, logos matters, which refers to the content of what you're saying. And pathos matters, which refers to the passion with which you deliver it. But ethos matters a lot. That's the credibility of the speaker. Do you practice what you preach? Are, are you convinced by what you're saying? Is it working out for you? Just say not many people would be terribly convinced by a 22-year-old single guy teaching on parenting. So it helps to have some experience here. Now, we don't yet have teenagers, and I guess I have to update this series in a few more years. And I know some of you parents of teens might think to yourself, like, we'll see how much you change your tune and when, when you get to the teenage years. But Perhaps. That being said, one of the things I want to challenge in this course is how we view parenting, especially of teenagers. At the end, we'll have a whole lesson or at least half a lesson devoted to parenting teens. We often approach parenting in general with such fear and dread and trepidation. Many just have a survival mentality. We're just trying to survive these years. But no, guided by scripture, we aim to do things differently and to thrive And all the years, and especially their teenage years, provide us profound opportunities to shepherd them, to raise them up, to train them, and to seek their hearts for God. Something we'll talk about in due time. But my goal here in these lessons is not simply to present you with our own parenting tactics and practices. We are far from perfect parents. I just want all of us to behold God's word on the subject of parenting that we all just grow and putting into practice and with the help of God's grace. And as we start into last week, we are purpose-driven here. Our goal with respect to our kids is discipleship, as we found, and all that entails. And overall, our chief aim in parenting is to see our children be reconciled to their creator, for them to be disciples of Jesus Christ. This is obviously massively distinct when it comes to Christian parenting versus that in the world. They'd probably just think us crazy for even mentioning discipleship as like the main goal of our parenting. But when you look at the state of parenting in in our culture, I'll take crazy versus what our culture is doing. I I think uh, I'm happy for that label. God's ways are are far better. We're going to discover that and see the the peaceful fruit of it as well. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I want to make sure we clarify the mission of parenting from the parent's perspective. Last time we spoke of the functional goals we have for our kids, just establishing some of the basics in a first lesson Our parenting practice will be intentionally geared toward raising our children toward these goals, kind of provides the target, you might say. But from our perspective as parents, what's our goal? What's our mission? Well, let's add this clarification. We'll begin with the mission of biblical parenting. The mission of biblical parenting. I want to see if we can put together a basic mission statement for biblical parenting. Now, most companies today have a mission statement, which is a one-sentence, short, pithy summary of a company's purpose and their, their central focus, their mission. For example, Monterey Bay Aquarium, to inspire conservation of the oceans. The American Heart Association, to build healthier lives free of cardiovascular disease and stroke. Specific, I mean, that, that's what they do. That, that's their mission. And these are these all make sense. They capture the essence or the purpose of some organization. So playing off that, how could we put together, you might say, a mission statement of biblical parenting, something short that we can just program in our minds from scripture to guide us? Well, as expected, our mission in parenting should reflect our values, not our corporate values, but our Christian values and our high view of children, right? And this is going to differentiate our mission in parenting from the world because I think part of the corruption of our culture has become now like a low view of children. Children are no longer overwhelmingly seen as as blessings, but burdens. 
I think this is most exemplified in the abortion movement, which obviously prioritizes the comfort of self over the life of the child. And in general, it used to be parents would by and large deny self and go to great lengths just for the blessing of their children, but that has reversed. I think now even parents have become devotees to the cult of self. Self-fulfillment is the greatest good, even if that means sacrificing your kids on the altar. If anything, kids just kind of get in the way, which I think probably explains why more and more couples are not having kids or delaying having kids, you know, more than a few couples who've sworn off having kids or they're going to hold out as long as possible because they want to make more money, they want to travel, they want to maintain a certain lifestyle. Kids will just mess with all of their fun. At the same time, though, although rates are falling, people are obviously still having kids. But I think uh, this low view of children paired with the high view of self in the world has, has grossly warped the mission of parenting. Like, like, what are we doing here? In the world, parenting more and more seems to, to lean towards just another form of self-fulfillment. We have these kids, just that, that role belongs to God alone. And when you take the, the culture's low view of children paired with a high view of self, you're going to end up with a very man-centered mission to parenting. It's going to lead to trouble, and it's just far from biblical. But for us, who are after a biblical mission of parenting, like I said, it has to reflect our high view of children, and it should be God-centered. And so just to play off that, do you yourself have a high view of children? Do you truly believe they're meant to be blessings and not burdens? We have some you know, unbelieving friends. They look around at, at all the kids of their peers, and they see that they're all nightmares. They're, they're terrible. And they say, like, why would we want to have kids? Kids are terrible. You know, it, it may be often that that's the case, but it's not by design. Children are not meant to be a sign of God's curse. They're meant to be a sign of God's blessing, even still. You might know Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, well known. It says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. It is true that when God cursed the world, he added pain to childbirth, but he did not take away the blessing of children. We must still view children as God does, namely as divine gifts. These are gifts of God. These are souls made in his image for his glory. God created these beings. And that means, first and foremost, they're not your, chi- no, they're not your, your children. They're, they're God's children. And you should value them as God values them. As I remember, especially before we had kids, I was super awkward around kids. Someone like wants to hand me a newborn baby. It's like, no, thank you. I don't need to hold your child. But have you ever held someone else's newborn baby, like brand new, one or two weeks old? Have you ever held someone else's newborn baby? And I'll tell you, you'll never be so careful in your life. Just the handoff procedures, like you're handling a Fabergé egg. You're so careful and delicate. This baby, this newborn is someone else's most precious possession. How will you prepare them? How will you raise them up? Most certainly with them as eternal souls in mind. Now, hopefully you see how God's view of parenting and God's view of children must permeate our mission. It's not up for us or not up to us to define the parenting task and the parenting mission. It's up to God. These are his children. We are his servants doing all that we do for his glory. And accordingly, we, we glorify God when we obey him and walk in his ways. So I think we can cut to the chase now. If we're after a biblical mission of parenting, we, we just have to ask What has God said? What kind of mission has he given to us? How does he define the essence of parenting? What's the task? How has God directed us? And for this, all you have to do is turn to scripture. There are some some actually perfect and profound short summaries of parenting. Most notable is Ephesians 6. You can turn there if you like. This won't be our primary text today. Not for a few weeks while we really I come back and dive in here. But in short, Ephesians 6.4, it's just a one-liner. It's all Paul has to say. It's all he needs to say because it so perfectly summarizes parenting. What God expects of us, the basic mission he's given to us. 
Ephesians 6, 4, fathers could be translated parents. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So simple, but so sufficient. You have the negative warning not to provoke them to anger, and then the positive uh, commands to bring them up, and he says, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ektrefo, to nourish, to nurture, to rear, to train. Your job is to raise them up, to see them nurtured. Physically, you can't actually make your children grow. You know, the actual process of human growth and, and body development is programmed in our DNA. It will just happen. The body grows by itself. But there can be no growth without food. Right? The body needs energy and resources to do what it's programmed to do to grow. And so physically, your job is not to grow them. You, you can't, but you, you're to feed them, to keep them alive and give them enough food that they physically grow. And spiritually, it's not all that different. Their spiritual life is in God's hands. And Paul does not task us with saving our children. We, we don't have that power. We can't do that. But we can give them spiritual food and drink. We can supply them with all they need and trust in God to provide his power to bring them to life and to grow them. That, that, that's what we must do. And it is to this that God holds us accountable. We're not made accountable for the results. We don't ever see that in Scripture. We are simply accountable to this mission, which is to raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And it's to this we must simply be faithful, must be diligent, must exert ourselves. I mean, given that high view of children, how valuable they are as God's creations and our children, we must give ourselves over to this work. Ask yourself, especially those of you who are parents, like, do you really have something more important to do that should consume your time and your energy and your passion? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We'll talk about those two tasks a lot later. They'll each get at least one uh, of their own lessons, discipline and instruction. But for now, though, I think we have enough to put all this together, at least to try in a concise mission statement, you know, the mission statement of biblical parenting. You can put it this way, to glorify God by being faithful, to raise up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord directed at the heart. I'll say that again. It's just to glorify God by being faithful, to raise up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord directed at the heart. What's the value of summarizing the mission of parenting like this? I think one is that it, if you can keep it in the, the front of your mind, it, it will help you stay focused on what matters in your job as a parent. Staying focused on the big picture. I, I see and talk to so many parents who just kind of get lost in the small picture because of that one fight they had with their teenage daughter or that one outrageous act of rebellion by their toddler son. They act like it's mission fail. It's, it's over. It's just game over. We've failed as parents. And other parents seem consumed with the results. They're plagued with an excessive level of worry and anxiety over how their children will turn out. If you find yourself losing sleep over how your one-year-old will turn out, you are missing the big picture. Just slow down, remind yourself, what is your mission? What has God tasked you with in this role as a parent? Our mission doesn't say anything about how they turn out. Yeah, we have goals for them. That, that was last lesson. We have targets. We, we definitely have an aim here. But we can't make our kids hit any mark. And that's not the mission. From our perspective as parents, it is simply to be faithful to do what God says. And that is with discipline and instruction to raise them up. Keeping the glory of God in mind. I know still those actual practical tasks of discipline and instruction might be foggy in your mind and unclear, and so be it. We'll get there. That's in due time. But if you learn just one fundamental lesson for now, just, just you focus on your long-term faithfulness. Just program in your mind your mission has all to do with faithfulness to the task. And that's on you. You be faithful. Some of you might find after an honest evaluation, you, you haven't been that faithful. Maybe you've not been as devoted 
or dedicated or diligent as you should have been. You haven't made choices in accordance with this mission. You've not really been guided by the glory of God. Perhaps you grow discouraged. To that, I can just say, be thankful. The mercies of God are new every morning. If you feel you've fallen short of this biblical mission, well, just turn and be renewed. God's grace is sufficient for you. And look, since we have a sovereign God at work, it's never too late. Even if you're raised in a non-Christian home, like I was. I was not the product of any means of biblical parenting. But God sovereignly saved me my freshman year of college. He's at work uh, in despite of us, or rather in spite of us. But if you're under conviction, good. Hit the restart button today and just resolve to change. Commit to turn to God's ways in all aspects of your life, especially parenting. God is good and gracious God. He gives grace to the humble. If you find yourself humble, good. But there's nothing but hope when you commit to do things his way, when you commit to to put yourself now to this task and, and really seek to parent God's way. Be filled with hope. He is gracious. Now, to move on, you may have noticed there's one phrase in that mission statement that we didn't really address or mention. It's that last part. And it says, to glorify God by being faithful, to raise up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Directed at the heart. That last part, what's that all about? I know that probably a lot of you, you've come here, you just want like the tips and tricks to parenting. You just want the practical stuff. But even the practical stuff won't work for you if you don't get the foundation right. And, And this issue of the heart is the very cornerstone of the foundation of biblical parenting. We can't really go further until you understand the heart. And so let's turn our attention to a second subject for the evening, the heart of biblical parenting. Just moving on, these foundational matters from the mission now to the heart of biblical parenting. What is the heart of biblical parenting? And by this, I just mean, what's the central focus of the parenting task? It is the heart of your children. The heart of parenting is the heart of your children. This might you say, or this you might say, is the battleground. This is the main subject of our task, and therefore the heart, the heart of your children should get the bulk of your attention. And picture a a huge farm. It's split into all these fields, dozens of fields, There's a school field, a sports field, an emotions field, an attitude field, a hobby field, entertainment field, a speech field, so on. In the very middle, though, there's a heart field. Most often, though, parents, they're trying to raise their kids, and they spend all their time in all these other fields. And if a problem of school comes up, they go address it in the school field. A kid shows a problem in speech, they'll go deal with it in the speech field. But they fail to realize that all these fields, all these aspects of a person's life are all directly connected back to that heart field. And it is the heart field that actually controls and influences all these other aspects of their life. And so in trying to raise up your kids, you really should be spending more time in the heart field. And when problems arise in these other fields or departments of their life, your, your task really is to trace it back to the heart, back to the heart field. Just to help you understand all this business about the heart better, let me give you here three understandings central to the heart of parenting. Three understandings central to the heart of parenting. And first would just be understanding your child's heart. And you can turn to advance to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Understanding your child's heart. What is the heart? You know, according to scripture, it's, it's our inner nature. We're not talking about the literal organ of the body here. But the Bible uses the heart as a metaphor for the inner self. The heart is the center of our thoughts, our attitude, our emotions, our, our action. It's the mission control center for who you are and all you do. You can say that the heart determines behavior. 
A person's behavior is never uncaused. It might be mysterious, but it's never uncaused. The same is true for your children, the things they do. Their bad behavior, it's never uncaused. It's coming from somewhere. It's coming from their heart. Our behavior is always some reflection of an inner heart desire. God made us creatures of desire. It's true for you. It's true for your kids as well. And it was the Lord Jesus who popped the hood. He he showed us how our own natures work when it comes to behavior versus the heart. Well-known Mark 7, down to verse 18. You can follow along. He's talking to this crowd and some Pharisees. He said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. You hear Jesus was up against some critics who were claiming that Jesus and his disciples were were defiled because they didn't follow all the latest Jewish ceremonial washing customs. But here Jesus teaches what it is in God's eyes that truly defiles a person. And he makes two points. First, what really defiles you are evil thoughts and evil deeds. That's defiling to God. What you eat, what goes inside to God is not the real issue. It's what comes out, your evil thoughts, your evil deeds. That's what's defiling. The second point is that these come from you. That They come from your own heart. These evil thoughts and evil deeds proceed from where? From within, out of the heart of man. We have a problem in our own natures. The point we're making first is that heart determines behavior. Your heart determines behavior. Similar to Luke 6.45, where Jesus said, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. Whatever is in you, it's going to come out of you. For better or for worse, what's in the heart will come out. And so look, any evil thought or deed that comes out of you means that it was in you to begin with. It was in your heart. There's some evil desire that's in you, and that's the real problem we have, the evil in the heart. Outward behavior gets all the attention because it's outward. It's visible. The heart, in turn, is invisible. Also, behavior gets more attention because it's changing it gives us a quick sense of success. I mean, if you actually manage to change your child's bad behavior into good behavior, it feels like mission accomplished. Like, I guess I'm done here. I have mission complete. It's really the false sense of peace. It's like invading a hostile nation. The locals hate you, but just through an overwhelming display of force, you really force them to put down their guns and stop fighting. And you think, I guess we've done here. We've conquered. There's peace. But you know, that's a false sense of security. If they still hate you in their hearts, as soon as the opportunity presents itself, their rebellion will will come right back. Hearts must be one for there to be truly change. It's the same with us, with our kids. Just, Just think problem and solution. The world operates on a surface level. And so when they look at their kids, they see what as the main problem. What's the main problem with their kids? Behavior. It's just behavior. They act out. They do bad things. They say mean things. And so what's the solution? Just fix their behavior. Control their behavior. Manipulate their behavior if you have to. And this is why that the task of parenting in the world usually just boils down to behavior modification. It's all about how to control how to manipulate your children to get them to do what you want them to do, to act like you want them to act. And through positive and negative reinforcement, children can be trained kind of like dogs to act a certain way. Do you think that's possible? Can children be trained like dogs to act a certain way? Absolutely, it's possible. It's not hard to do. But what's the problem with this? 
The problem is that they're still separated from God without salvation. They're still doomed. The world's parenting, when all you're focusing, focused on is outward behavior, it's, as we often say, it's like polishing the bronze in the Titanic. They're still going down. They're still sinking. You've done nothing to change their condition. You've just made them look a little shinier. What good have you done? You might have nice, well-mannered children, but they still have hearts of rebellion against their God. What have you accomplished? You've done nothing to address their heart or point them to Christ. Now, obviously, we don't expect that from parenting in the world, but in the church, should be different. We need to know, you need to know, a huge point that behaviorism is not enough. And look, this type of thinking can very easily infiltrate the church and be found in the church just as much as it is in the world. It takes a a Christian flavor, but it's still just behaviorism in the end. There's a Christian version of behavior modification where through the same old methods of external compulsion one way or another, you, you get your children to act like Christians. And you can win their behavior where outwardly they look like good little Christians. But you haven't won their heart. You haven't addressed their heart at all. And if that's the case, the result is you've just created a Pharisee. And any acts of righteousness that come out of them, if they do not have a heart for God, is merely self-righteousness. If you're still in Mark 7, Jesus dealt with the Pharisees over this very same issue. He says back in verse 6, already pointing out their hypocrisy. He said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. They were only concerned with this ceremonial washing, the exterior, looking good on the outside, but their hearts did not love God or serve God or care about God. This is mere formality and God hates that. Same with Isaiah chapter 1. He hates that type of phony righteousness. It's good for nothing. Far be it from us to, in a, in a roundabout way, promote that in our children by just making them good Christians on the outside, but never seeking them to have a heart for God. So we have to go deeper. That means with our kids, we will aim to address not just their behavior, but their hearts behind it. We'll trace it back to the heart field. That's the heart of our parenting. Now, real quick, you might wonder, like, kids do have behavior problems though, right? So, should we not address their behavior problems? Should we, do we ignore their behavior problems? Do we do nothing? Should we not address them or try and train them? No, of course not. We, we are most definitely going to address their behavior issues. We're going to deal with their behavior. Behavior matters a lot to God because obedience matters to God. But it's not an either-or issue. It's it's a both-and. It's not the heart or behavior. It's the heart and behavior, both. Now, one leads to the other. There's a primacy here, but both matter. We will pay attention to behavior issues in our children. When they disobey, for example, we're not going to say, well, you know, I I get it. You don't have a heart for God, so off you go. No, we will discipline them and train them and show them the consequences of their behavior. But we're not going to stop there. We will see these behavior issues and how they alert us to deeper heart issues. And with skill that we'll learn later, try and trace it back to an underlying heart issue and focus there with meaningful instruction and and discipline. Hopefully that will lead to meaningful change in our children. We'll learn more about that to come. But for now, though, we've primarily established this first point, this first basic understanding you need to have about the heart of your children, that behavior stems from the heart. Your behavior is true for you too, right? You're going to find a lot of parenting is not that all, not all that different from adult Christian conversion and discipleship, but your behavior and your child's behavior stems from the heart. Okay. Hopefully you get that. That's all fine. What's the big deal though? Why is this such a problem? Is this a bad thing? Well, there is a problem here, and that's because all of our hearts have a problem. And so a second understanding we can add. Understanding your child's heart problem. Understanding your child's heart 
The heart is what determines behavior. Their inner self is what is going to determine and influence their behavior. The reason this is a problem is because their hearts have a problem. And so secondly, understanding your child's heart problem. And the problem here is that children don't come with clean hearts or good hearts or even neutral hearts. The soul or the inner person is sick from birth, defiled and corrupt in God's eyes, that they have a heart problem. All people are born with, you might say, a heart of stone, like Ezekiel says. Because of original sin paired with total depravity, we all come just programmed with a heart given over to rebellion against God and all authority. It means our children come to us already inclined away from God and towards self. It doesn't mean they're going to be as bad as they could be, but they're already set in a direction away from God and towards self. That's the nature of the fall. God does not sit on the throne of anyone's heart by default from birth. There's, there's something else on the throne as soon as it's able to be expressed. Something else will come out. I've taught lengthy Bible studies before on this, this concept of total depravity, but let me give you a sampling of some key verses that are quite relevant to understanding your child's heart problem, which, by the way, is your heart problem, my heart problem. Lord Jesus already taught us how evil thoughts and evil deeds, they just come from inside of us. It's not the environment's fault. It's not someone else's fault. It's our own fault. They've come from a wicked heart. Now, other scriptures are going to confirm that and, and show that how this, this condition just goes back to birth. A few key verses, Jeremiah 17, 9, for example, says the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our inner self is deceitful and sick. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, a classic parenting verse. The first half, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. You don't have to teach them to be foolish. They come programmed foolish. That's the challenge to teach them wisdom. And push out that foolishness. Genesis 8, 21, after the flood, and God had, had cursed and judged the world because of man's wickedness. After, though, he, he vows not to flood the earth again, but he, he understands, he knows, and this is obviously part of God's plan, that flooding the earth is not going to solve the problem because in the end, even though Noah and his family were saved, eight sinners got on the ark and eight sinners still got off the ark. They were just going to have and reproduce and procreate a bunch of more sinners. God resolved he wouldn't flood the earth again. But he did say, though, that Genesis 8, 21, the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. It's the very inclination, the very direction of his heart is evil from his youth. That's God's verdict. Psalm 58, verse 3 adds, the wicked are estranged from the womb. Those who speak lies go astray from birth. That's another strong verse, just tracing this issue back to birth from, again, original sin, total depravity, extends to the totality of our nature. We're astray. The wicked are estranged from the womb. Those who speak lies go astray from birth. David himself confessed, Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. He's not saying there that he's the product of adultery or immorality, like in sin, my mother conceived me. No, he's meaning that he was in sin from birth. He knows and understands his own sinful nature from conception, from when he was brought forth. We're already defiled entering this world because of the human condition after the fall. You know Romans 3, 10, 12, 23. You know, there's none good, there's none righteous, not even one. None who seeks after God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That this is, as we saw this morning, part of our, our universal sin condition. Isaiah puts it well, Isaiah 53, verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. You don't become that way because you get soured by life and circumstances. We are born that way, truly astray. This is a matter of time before we fulfill that, but we are born astray. The basic assumption in the world is that children are born basically good. Or at the very least, they're a blank slate. They're morally neutral. And they only turn bad as a result of their, their negative influences. Parents, 
peers, the environment. Often this, this leads to the conclusion that if your kids are messed up, it's your fault. You as the parents, you're to blame. A lot of psychoanalysis is tracing all of your baggage back to your parents and blaming it all on them. And, and don't get me wrong, parents and parenting can bring out the worst and exacerbate this problem of depravity, but it's not the main problem. And this is not what the Bible teaches. And I'm going to trust God to know humanity best and how we operate, how we tick on the inside. That no one is born neutral. All are born astray from God. And it may not express itself immediately, but all are going to be motivated by the glory of self, not the glory of God. Outside influences can definitely amplify this corruption and and see it go to to greater lengths. And some will go to greater lengths in the expression of their, their depravity. But it's just, we're just talking about degrees at that point. We're all corrupt from birth. This is just a, a fundamental understanding. That's what we're talking about here. Fundamental understandings of, of you, but also your children, you need to be equipped with the understanding they are born astray. Now, I, I have to say, though, I think, at least in the church, most parents come to learn about the reality of depravity the hard way, just through experience. They have kids, and they learn pretty quickly, yeah, I think total depravity is biblical. Every parent has their share of stories of the utter sinfulness of their children exposed at a a shockingly young age. I mean, you talk about behavior problems. Who is going about teaching their two-year-old to scream and yell and hit and defy? Who teaches them to melt down when they don't get their way? I don't know if you, you guys, your kids did this. But I'm sure your kid at least once has pulled the, the boneless maneuver where when they don't get their way, they just drop to the ground and like they have no bones. They're just dead weight. They just don't move. They, they flop. You try and pick them up, they, their legs won't support any of their weight. They're just, they've gone boneless. <laughs> Who taught them that? Is that how you act when you get in an argument with your spouse? You just drop to the ground and you just, you won't budge. They, they learn that from you. Now, there is a heart of sin selfishness, greed, covetousness, anger, unrighteousness, and the list goes on. And all of us from birth, it's just a matter of time before it comes out. It is our job as parents to address their behavior. Yes. Earlier I mentioned in passing, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, the first half. We're going to get to the second half. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. We will talk a lot about the role of biblical discipline in in addressing their behavior, but it's going to be directed at the heart. And so for now, though, just gain this understanding of your child's heart problem. Do your children have behavior problems? Yes, ours do. But we've learned that that's not their real problem. That's not their deepest problem. Their behavior problem is just symptomatic of a much deeper problem. In reality, they have a nature problem. They have, you might say, a congenital heart defect, spiritually speaking, that they're born sinners. They're born dead in their trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1. They're children of wrath by nature, Ephesians 2.3. And so they will, by nature, sin and rebel and disobey you and disobey God. It's just a matter of time. And before you get too upset at them, remember, you and I were born the same way. We are no different. Hopefully, otherwise, that we have experienced salvation, but we were in that same condition. Thankfully, though, this is not the last word. And as as bad as this sounds, this is not an entirely hopeless situation. There's good news and hope for parenting, especially among those equipped with the gospel. So let's add a, a third and final understanding here. We're reflecting on the heart of parenting understanding this issue of the heart. The heart determines behavior, but we have a heart problem. We're corrupt and astray. But thirdly, let's talk about understanding your your child's heart hope. You might say, understanding your child's heart hope. They've got a heart problem. Hopefully you get that now, but there's hope. There is an answer for this problem. Let's learn about it. You can turn to Ephesians 2 if you like. I just mentioned a couple of those verses, but it's helpful in this teaching. We've gained an understanding of your child's heart and heart problem. This is what is going to inform their greatest need. Their greatest need is not behavior modification. That's not 
going to fix the issue. Their greatest need is a heart transplant. They, they just need a new heart, one that loves God. That doesn't have to be forced or compelled or threatened to obey God and do what is right, but just wants to because they love God. That's how you, you solve the problem. They need salvation. That change will change everything. Thankfully, God is in this business. Ephesians 2, you know, the first three verses here are known for, for teaching the bad news, the problem, the heart problem from birth in Ephesians 2, 1. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. I mean, there's, there's three verses on total depravity, if you ever wanted them. Just from birth, by nature, children of wrath, dead in our trespasses and sins, and enslaved to Satan. Doesn't look very good. But, verse 4, thankfully, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our transgressions, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. And he says, by grace, you've been saved. We were dead, hopeless, can't do anything about that. Dead person can't make themselves alive, but he made us alive with Christ and in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It goes on from there. But what your child needs to, to do, everything you want them to do, all those goals we talked about last week, the spiritual goals, what they need to arrive to live rightly, to live for the glory of God, to bear the fruit of obedience and righteousness, to have renewed behavior. Only thing they need is just, just a new heart. That's it. Just, just a new heart will do it. That is what God provides in the new birth. Like Jesus taught in John 3, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of, of heaven. But that's the work God does. This, it is true. This is the one thing we cannot do for our children. It's in a, in a sense, ironic that the one thing they need the most, we are powerless to provide. We, we, can't, we can't give it to them. I can't reach in there and give them a new spiritual heart. The new birth is a birth from above. Literally, when Jesus said born again in John 3, it literally in Greek is born from above. It's a divine birth. The divine summons to new life, a spiritual heart transplant. But as we learned Last week, when we were considering, considering parenting goals, and even now considering the mission of parenting, look, God does not hold us accountable for this work. We're not held accountable for saving our kids. We are simply made responsible, though, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But since our hope is for their hearts to be changed, all this all of this put together means we're going to be spending most of our time where? In their hearts, addressing their hearts, seeking that heart change. You can consider it like this, just using another field analogy, farming analogy. A farmer has a simple goal, a fruit. He wants a harvest. He wants his crop. That's why he does what he does. But there's only so much he can do to get it. And really that the most significant parts of the farming process he has no control over, and that's seed germination and plant growth. You can't do anything about that. You don't have that power. That's in the power of the seed. It's programmed into its DNA to germinate, to grow. There's nothing you can do to make that happen. Sometimes the seed germinates. Sometimes it doesn't. You get, you get some duds. However, like any responsible farmer, he will work hard to produce an environment most conducive to seed germination and plant growth. That's all he can do. He will till the soil. He'll amend it, pull weeds, he'll water. And most importantly, he'll scatter the seed. If he doesn't do that, he can be sure nothing will grow, but he'll scatter the seed. And then after the seed comes to life, how? He doesn't know, but it springs to life. After that, he will continue mostly the same work. He will keep weeding, watering, feeding, fertilizing. And in time, this bare field will 
be a, a rich field full of fruit, full of harvest, full of a rich crop. And that's it's a pretty good way to think of discipleship and really the parenting task. We too want fruit. We want to see a, a crop of righteousness and, and true worship come out of our children as they become disciples of Christ. But again, we're not in control of the most critical part of that equation, which, which is the new birth. Still though, God has made us responsible to do all that we can do to create an environment most conducive to salvation and sanctification. It's not our accountability to, to, to save them, but it's our responsibility to do what he called us to do in his mission, and it's to, to create this environment most conducive to his salvation and his sanctification. And that means in parenting, we're going to use his word to feed them, to water them. We're going to talk to them about sin to, to try and help them remove the weeds of sin in their life. We're going to most certainly scatter the seed of the gospel in their hearts all, all the time. And we're going to pray that God would bring them to life. When that happens, well, we're just going to carry on. We're going to keep watering, keep weeding, keep feeding and renewing. If it doesn't happen, don't be discouraged. You know, go back to the mission of biblical parenting. You as a parent are just tasked with being faithful. The farmer's not accountable for the, the germination rate of his seed. You just be, fo- uh, uh, be found faithful to glorify God by raising them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord focused on the heart or directed at the heart. You just be faithful. But here, be convicted to direct really the bulk of your parenting activities to the heart. That's where the real change will take place. And that's later where the growth will take place. You have to get it back to the heart field for salvation, for sanctification. All of our energy and effort needs to eventually get back to their hearts. You know, a quick little example, maybe you have an older son, he's playing baseball, not very good. Others laugh at him, his teammates kind of tease him. One time though, he's up to bat, he gets a hit, it's a single, he tries to make it a double. But he gets tagged out. He's frustrated. He has a huge opposite of anger. He comes back to the dugout, throws his helmet in anger, and is kind of in a puff. How would you respond to that? And I think maybe a, a parent from the world might, you know, say, well, we're going to make sure that never happens again. It's going to take him to the batting cages, make him a better hitter, help him be a better baseball player. Or some might say, you know, let's just find a new sport altogether, whatever makes you feel better. And it's not necessarily wrong to do some of these things, but that they're really missing the link between his actions and, and the attitude of his heart. What was going on in his heart that led to that outburst of anger? Behavior is not uncaused. It didn't come from nothing. There's a reason. It could be many things. Could he be frustrated in his failure because he so desperately wants the approval of his peers and he just can't feel satisfied in life without it? I don't know. He's just a made-up kid. But you know your kids. And as the parent of your children, you will be tasked with understanding them and tracing back their behavior, especially their problematic behavior, to the heart, because that's where you're going to address it. How can we help our children just think about their place in this world before God? And the point is that we as parents, we are going to use their behavior as windows to their heart. And then we're going to try and spend as much of our time as possible on that, in that heart field, weeding, feeding, watering, tilling, scattering, just to trace things back to the heart. I know some of you, you know, you still just want the good stuff. You want me to just tell you what to do in parenting. Just fix my kids. If only it were that easy. And if only parenting were that easy. Just tell your kids what to do and they just do it. But no, change must come from within, from the heart. And look, that goes for you too as parents. Maybe some of you parents need to make some changes in the things you do, your priorities, your choices. Maybe so, but it's not enough for me to just tell you that. You yourself have to be convicted to change in your hearts for that change to be meaningful. And we're going to get plenty of instruction on the practicals of parenting very soon. But tonight, let your own hearts be shepherded and convicted and changed. Plant this lesson deep in your heart. Before God, you've got a mission in parenting. 
Your job is just to be found faithful in it, and your crosshairs in it are going to be squarely fixed on the hearts of your children. Learn that lesson, and in weeks to come, everything we say about about the, the practice, the practicals of parenting will now make much more sense and hopefully truly equip you to do that, that hard but uh, rewarding work in the field of their hearts. That'll do it for our time tonight. More to come. Let's pray. We'll finish up. Lord God, we, we praise you for your word this evening and how you have revealed to us our own natures. We trust you, Lord, that the God who made us to know us well, we are your creatures. You fashioned us. You know us. And even after the fall, you know what has gone wrong with us. This most precious creation of yours, mankind, created in your image, but that image has been marred by this fall into sin. All of us, indeed, like sheep, have gone astray. I think we all can confess we've, we've all gone away from you in our hearts. We thank you for the, the, the glory of the cross the marvel, the mystery of the cross, that you'd send your son to die on the cross, rise from the dead, to redeem fallen and astray and lost sheep and to, to purchase them back, to restore us. That is our hope. We thank you for that. And Lord, for, for those of us here as parents, we know that's, that's our greatest hope for our children as well. It's our, our highest desire and goal. We trust you, Lord, to do your sovereign work. That's in your hands. We need not fear or worry about that. But as for us, as parents especially, I pray this evening you really do convict us of this mission. We're to be faithful, to be found faithful day in, day out, over the long haul, just to raise them up, to do what you tell us to do. Lots of discipline, lots of instruction to the glory of God, focused on their hearts. Help us to be found faithful. This is an exhausting task, but you've given us your spirit and your word to equip us. You are sufficient for these things. May we just rely on your power and indeed be found faithful. Give us, and especially in the weeks to come, wisdom. We're going to need wisdom, Lord, to to discern the heart. Who can understand the heart? We need a skill here to to think more deeply than we've ever thought before about why we do the things we do, why our children do the things they do. How do we shepherd hearts? It's not an automatic or easy thing, but your wisdom is sufficient. You, You make a promise, Lord, if we pray for wisdom and faith, you will answer it. So we pray already, give us and all these parents, your wisdom to discern the heart, that they might shepherd it, plant the gospel in it, and trust you for all the rest. Be with us. We thank you for this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.